Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I am your host, Paul Oneid, and today I have the pleasure of meeting with one of my friends, Meryl Binder. Meryl is a nutrition and training coach online and the owner of Wicked Iron Strength. Meryl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. I'm excited to be here. It's Binder, but... Oh, we'll like... sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Do you want me to re-record? Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Meryl Bender. Um, so Meryl and I met uh, through mutual connection, Mayor Patchy. Um, and, you know, Mer- Mer- Meryl and I have been working together in a mentorship capacity, looking to build her business and spread the word of Wicked Iron Strength. Uh, and I figured that she was the perfect person to have on the podcast to share the journey. And uh, I think she's someone who is completely entrenched in her work. When we think about someone who is passionate, Meryl is the type of person that I would think of where everything that she does is driven towards providing value for the people that she works with. Um, So tell us a little bit about how you got into coaching. Yeah, it's it's a long story when I really think about it. Um, We got time. All right, let's do it. So I, I think it's important to to go back to, I think about this often is when I was going to college, going to university, um, I was really into athletic training. I was really into psychology. Okay. Um, my school did not have, I actually applied as a psych major, got really into athletic training my senior year of high school, already was accepted, didn't have an athletic training major so I switched to sport management and kind of that was like the beginning of sport management you have a degree in sport management too right yeah I have a yeah one of my masters in sports management so it was like kind of a new degree and I I got very well versed in a lot of different aspects of sport in that major um I did a couple internships with the sports medicine department I was kind of tracking to go to PA school to work in orthopedics okay Um, that was like, I'm just very interested in like how the body works. And I kind of got like sidetracked with an internship. I was working for a professional basketball team. Um, Which one? Lo- I worked for the 76ers. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, I went to school in Philly. I worked for the 76ers for a few years. I was interning and had an opportunity to work full time there, which is really like such a small margin of people that can work in professional sports. Uh, and I hadn't even graduated college yet. So I, yeah, so I accepted that job and, um, was still kind of trying to finish school at the same time, which was a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, so are you, are you and Alan Iverson friends? Totally. No, um, I did actually get to work with him when he came back to the team. I was working. So it was really, really cool, especially because the team was like pretty shitty the years that I was working there. So like that was exciting uh, for everybody. When he came back, I did work a lot with the team. So it was a cool other aspect of sport. Um. But yeah, fast forward a few years, I had got laid off during the NBA lockout and decided to move with my now husband, then boyfriend to the middle of New Mexico. And there was no, like, there's no athletic teams there. And New Mexico is, uh, so being Canadian, my perception of New Mexico is like, it's another planet. Yeah, that it was like that for me too when I moved there. Being from around a city for most of my life, and I moved to this place that it was on the border of of Texas and New Mexico, and it was like Friday night lights, Mars, like t- just time warp kind of thing. And mm-hmm. okay, well, what the fuck am I gonna do with my life? Um, so you I- moved with no plan. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to finish school. Cause I had, right. I had like a number of credits I had to finish. Um, during that time, when I went back to school to finish, I got really into, 
into fitness. Like I played sports my whole life. I did cardio, all these things, but I got into CrossFit. Okay. So I started to fall in love with, with lifting. And when I moved to New Mexico, that was kind of all I had was Mm -hmm. like the gym I was going to. And I started hanging out there. I started realizing that, oh, this is like really cool. And I like coaching people. I like figuring out how bodies, you know, that aspect of how bodies work in space. Um, And it was something that was really empowering for me because I honestly have a history of a lot of disorder with my eating, with my body, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So was really empowering for me. And that's kind of how it all started. I got into coaching. I was like, well, I guess this is what I'm going to do. And kind of, (laughs) kind of like went all in on it. So I I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is a job. I didn't really know that that was an option uh, before. It's kind of new. Like I, you know, speaking last night with Ali Gilbert, uh, we recorded an episode of the podcast and I remember like, I, I I still have have no idea if my dad knows what I do for a living. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he makes money online doing fitness stuff. I, I think my parents are like, starting to figure out the more more of the ins and outs of what I actually do yeah um so I find that interesting because you talked a lot about like how the body moves and and then you also mentioned you have a really deep interest in psychology and so but what you do now is primarily like you center your message more so on the nutrition side of things while you do coach training for sure um your messaging is very much nutrition oriented and very much psychology oriented. So at what point did that pivot get made? Yeah, that's, it's kind of cool. I've been reflecting on that lately where it's, it's kind of like this full circle moment with that psychology aspect the past few years um, have really been when I've kind of pivoted and transitioned and, and moved heavily into bringing in mindset, bringing in psychology, bringing in an aspect of behavior change. And I think that all came really when we moved overseas. So I had built a really solid business in New Mexico. I was coaching in person. I was also working like 14 hours a day or something like that, like maxed out. Holy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, The coaching running classes, um, doing nutrition and really on the verge of burnout. When I look back on it, it was, I was capped out and I was on the verge of burnout and we moved overseas and I had to, again, like kind of figure out what to do. So I had kind of transitioned to online. Um, but at that time it was like, so bare minimum. Yeah. And it was a like a whirlwind of a difference for me because I was living in a, in a like again another like legit foreign country of figuring stuff out. From another planet to a another planet, country. another country. <laughs> and then um I think I had like built this identity in what I was doing and then lost like this purpose. And so mm. I kind of it kind of forced me into really doing a lot of self-discovery and work on myself. And that really turned over into the evolution of where my coaching has been now. Um, when I moved back to the States, I had promised myself that I was not going to get to that spot again of right. being on burnout, being like turning this thing that I really loved and was passionate about into something that I kind of like dreaded doing a lot of the time. Oh, I see that. I see that time and time again. Like I, I went through it a number of times. Like I went through it when I was in collegiate strength burnout. I went through it when I was working multiple jobs burnout to a point where, you know, we identity is a really interesting thing to me. And you mentioned it where you didn't really start to realize the growth potential you had in your business until you worked on yourself. Right. And every single coach that I talk to on this podcast says the exact same thing until they, until they begin to understand themselves, they can not see the big picture of how they can serve others. And 
understanding too, that that has parallels to the people that we're working with on a daily basis, because until they start to understand themselves, they're not going to be able to overcome those barriers that they're facing. Um, how many years were you overseas? We were there for three years, three years. And then when you moved back, you moved back near St. Louis where you are now. Yep. And there was no, you weren't like, okay, I need to go find in-person work. It was right to, I'm just going to continue to work online. Yeah. I, I saw, well, because of COVID, which I think this was one of the really great things that came out of COVID, there was this transition into, um, so much more capacity and capability that you could do online. And the thing that I loved about in-person coaching were, I saw an opportunity to bring that into online because I love connection. Like I love working with the person. And now it's not just spreadsheets, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's so much more capacity for actual connection. And so that was something that I saw. I could have more time freedom, more flexibility, have a greater impact because now I'm not so restrained with my time and the other person's time. Right. And also have it be like they're working with a human that cares about them. Well, people don't realize this, but if you're working with someone in person, you have one hour out of 24. When you're working with somebody online, there's so much more ability to impact that person within the full hours of the day. So while you might think that, okay, there's this barrier of proximity in that I'm not beside them, they have a phone with them all the time. So you're actually, that barrier to proximity doesn't exist in the online space. And that's something that I came to realize myself during COVID as well. And that like, I can really make a big difference if I change the way I do things for sure, because you do have to change your processes around it. But it really helped me realize that the impact that I could have on somebody in the way that I speak to them, in the way that I project myself to them, in the way that I structure their interventions. Uh, Throughout this process, obviously, there had to have been some continuing education on the way, along along the way, not on the way. Um, What were some of the things that you kind of dove into that helped you within this process? Yeah, the, I really did dive in and that was something that being overseas helped me because I realized that having support was a game changer for me. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it all by myself and that's what I had been trying to do. And I think that's a big part that was leading to that burnout. So when I got back to the States, I dove into, um, getting support with, building a business online. Uh, I've also continued education. I think it's really important with my nutrition um, coaching, like ins and outs of nutrition, ins and outs of coaching. Like I did Girls Gone Strong certification. I did Coach's Corner certification. Uh, Just connecting with other coaches as well was huge. Um, And then continuing to do a lot of just seminars, conferences, et cetera, learning from other coaches, learning about all kinds of different topics and especially in psychology range realm. So you mentioned the connecting with other coaches and it's something that I've been making it a point to talk about more and more in that your network is your net worth. And there are so many amazing coaches doing amazing things in this world. Um, And I for sure have limited my exposure to them because of, you know, I would make whatever excuse, whether it's like, oh, I'm in Canada, it's going to cost me too much money, whatever. But I'm just constantly reminded that getting in person with other professionals always leaves me so motivated to continue to build, continue to grow, to continue to expand because, you know, I still have an ego. So if I walk into a room, I know, shocking, eh? Um, If I walk into a room and I'm like, I don't know if I actually belong in this room or, and even better, I don't think I actually belong in this room. So you could take it as, I better shut up or, hey, I better learn as much as I can from these people, take it with me and move on. Um, 
And you've done that on a few, like you did a group mentorship prior to us working together with, uh, with our work that we have a group mentorship as well. The seminars in person, expanding your network. These are all things that just expose you to what's possible, right? Like I'm sure, I'm sure as soon as you opened your eyes to like, wow, there's a lot of people doing great things. It kind of had you second guessing the limiting beliefs you might've otherwise had. Yeah. For sure. I think that's the thing is coming at it. And that's part of that self growth is instead of being like, Oh, this person's doing this. And why would I do it? It's like, Oh, this person's doing this. So like, wow, I can take that and put my spin on it and, you know, create some really cool shit. So, um, it's been awesome to connect with people who are open and willing to share and like coming from coaching as a place of abundance and really true impact. Mm-hmm. I think that's been something that's been really eye opening. Um, there's endless amounts of coaches out there and oh, yeah. there's, I've been able to really connect with people who actually want impact for their clients, mm-hmm. um, actually want to create positive change and they're not in it just to, for themselves. So, so let's switch gears a little bit because I think it's important that we both speak to our clients and other coaches in this regard, because I see an immediate parallel here, right? I see an immediate parallel with the willingness to ask for help, right? When our clients come to us, you have to be vulnerable. They have to be vulnerable in the sense that they're coming to us to help them with something that they can't do themselves. So they have to, they have to have that vulnerability and we have to do the same when we ask for help. And then on top of that, there's a level of trust that we have to step up to fulfill that person's expectations of us within that coaching relationship. Now, I think talking about the barriers that we face as coaches with regards to our education and connections is important, but let's dive into some of the barriers and challenges that our clients might face and how you've gone and kind of structured some systems or changed your communication habits to address those. I think one big thing is sharing, being vulnerable yourself and being really open. That's one thing I really wanted to do is kind of like level the playing field. I'm not on a pedestal. I'm not here for you to like prove yourself to me or yell at you for anything. Um, I want my clients to be able to come to me with whatever is going on, knowing that I am going to be there as a supportive person and help, you know, guide them forward in a way that is helpful for them. Um, so I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop you there because I think and this is a conversation I actually just had with Liv yesterday. I had a client come up to me and say, I want to be better for you. Mm. And I was like, I kind of paused and I was like, okay, compliment, because they see me as an authority figure and they want to, they want me to be proud of them, which is great. But that that is external validation. I replied back, I said, listen, I want you to be great for you. And I, I told this client, I said, there's no way that you could disappoint me here. The only way that you could disappoint me here would be if you stopped trying. And she said, don't tell me that. And I was like, I kind of paused. I was like, she's like, no, because when I'm feeling weak, I lean on you for strength. Hmm. And I, was, I said, okay, like, where does, like, just run with that, run with that idea. Like, where does that balance lie for you? Because we do need to have that there does need to be some sort of aspect where you are above the client and they should look up to you. But at the same time, there shouldn't be this only seeking external validation from coach. Yeah. That's such a tricky thing too. And I do work what I'm noticing. I work with a lot of high achieving people who they do have this fear of disappointing someone else. And there is also that disappointing themselves in there too. So Mm -hmm. it is a really interesting aspect. And 
that's, it's so tricky. I also tell my clients a lot. It's like this, me being disappointed in you is the same thing. It's like, if you don't show up and you don't do anything and you stop giving a shit about yourself and like the things that you want, that's where I'm like, honestly, that's where I'd be disappointed. I don't, but I feel like I'd be disappointed with myself because I didn't help you. I wouldn't be just, I wouldn't even be disappointed in you. Yeah. I think that's like, it's also something I know we talk about this in a mentorship a lot. It's like that radical responsibility and like, well, how could I have made this better as a coach? There's also, that's a slippery slope sometimes too. It is, you know, and it boils down to like this internal versus external locus of control. And, you know, I always talk about how it's much easier for you to blame some external thing for your failure than to admit that you failed yourself. Yeah. But when you win, you don't want to you don't want to attribute the win to something external that you had no control over. You want to attribute the win to something internal. Yeah. I think it's a, a learned skill to attribute an internal locus of control to failure and not be discouraged by it. Yeah. It's something that I focus really heavily on with the people I work with, because I see this trend of fear of failure, self-sabotage and like one guideline, one kind of rule I make for everybody is if you fail, if you feel shitty about something, if you feel like you messed up, whatever it is that you take, you pause and you see what you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. You know, like whatever feelings you're going to have, you're going to be frustrated with yourself. You're going to be angry. Like that's all valid. And I very much understand those feelings. Now, how do you move forward from that in a positive way? What can you learn from the experience? Yeah, that, uh, that learned behavior to not dwell on failure. Yeah. Um, you, okay. So you mentioned you deal with a lot of high performers as do I. One of my clients recently competed at the highest level of her sport. And she drastically underperformed based on what she felt she could have. And everyone was telling her, oh, you know, you made it to where you were. It's okay. It was out of your control, blah, blah, blah. And while that might be true to some extent, she put out a story that said, hey, stop telling me not to feel my feelings. Yeah. And I think that's where what you said, pause. It's not pause put away the feelings and be objective it's pause feel the feelings and let the feelings tell you the story yeah getting curious to like why they're there and you know you got to feel it to heal it kind of thing so i like that (laughs) is that is that a is that a meryl quote uh probably not but i'll i'll take it (laughs) Take it, put it on a t-shirt and it's yours. No, but I think, I think that's really important that, and when people talk about mindfulness, that's mindfulness. Yeah. Being completely present and aware with your thoughts, your feelings, and making sure that your next action is aligned with that. Um, It's uh, again, it's a learned skill. So maybe what, what are some things that you implement within your nutrition practice or your coaching practice that helps your clients learn that skill? Well, I mean, you mentioning mindfulness, that's such a huge aspect. And I think that that word is thrown around so much. So much. And really what it is, is being present. So whatever you're doing, it's huge in nutrition, especially for people that may struggle with some disordered eating. They may like go overboard with certain foods or feel like they have like a lack of control or, you know, no willpower, whatever these things are. Um, Being really mindful in like, whether it's in your nutrition, whether it's in your training, whether it's in aspects of your life, just being present because that's where you're most powerful. If you're Focusing on the past, that shit's already happened and it's not going to move you forward. If you're focusing on so heavily on the future, um, that's going to be really disruptive for where you're at now. And it's 
very potentially going to ruin your experience as a whole. Mm-hmm. So focusing in on where you are now, what you're doing right now, and being there fully. It's it, That's probably one of the hardest things for people, especially when they come to a coach, it's because they want results. So they mm-hmm. want some future thing. Mm-hmm. But what we try to do, if you're a coach that's worth your salt, you're going to put something in place that slows the person down. Mm-hmm. And focuses them on some certain measurables, behaviors, strategies that put them in the right now. Because if you're always focused on, oh, no, the scale didn't go down today. I must not have done well yesterday. Or uh, I've lost 10 pounds, but I still look the same. Which is something that happens all the time. How do you reframe that for someone? So I think especially in fitness and nutrition, people focus so heavily on goals and outcome goals. And there's very little happiness. I think that that is there, that is present when that's the focus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are valid. It's valid to have outcome based goals or goals in general are great. Um, And then I want people to stop focusing on them. And I want people to start focusing on the systems, on the small things that get them there and then continue to focus on those things. Because again, that's what got you here and that's, what's going to get you further. So really, really emphasizing the process. um, process. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. One of the things that I like to do is, you know, I have them set that goal, but then I have them set three goals underneath it that are more process oriented because it's like climbing a staircase. If yeah. you don't take each step, you're not yeah. going to get to the top. But then in the same breath, if you take each step, getting to the top is inevitable, mm-hmm. right? It's just, a, it's a consequence of the process. And I forget, I forget who said it, but there is a quote or the, a definite, a loose definition of happiness in that happiness is not a destination. It's a process because we are most happy when we are taking steps towards a goal. So if we feel like we're making meaningful progress, we're going to be happy. And when that meaningful progress loses the word meaningful we we lose the ability to be present we're just doing it to do it and i didn't actually fully grasp that until i went through my bodybuilding prep because you have no fucking choice but to be present that date that date doesn't change and you feel so shitty God, yeah. Especially, especially that last six weeks, you got to be hungry. You got to be sit. You have to sit in your hunger. You have to sit in your fatigue because mm-hmm. all you want to do is sit. Um, and I was like, okay, well, if this is the level of discomfort that I can put myself in, I would bet if you drew a parallel to someone who didn't have that same relative scale of discomfort, Losing 10 pounds would probably feel the same. Yeah. Especially for someone who's, who's never pushed themselves to any meaningful degree of discomfort and being hungry is scary. Yeah. It's like going against your basic need for living. (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're dealing with, when we're dealing with people who, you know, want to lose weight or want to do something that requires that discomfort is, is your coaching based very heavily on conversations? Is it focused very heavily on metrics? Uh, Is it focused very heavily on um, collaboration? Like how do you kind of orient this person or is it different for every client? Um, It's a, I mean, it's a little different for every client. I really am not a cookie cutter person. And I, course, yeah. I wouldn't work with you if you were. 
Yes, I, I, I could see that. Um, but I base a lot on conversation. I think that conversation can pull a lot out of people. And I, I think a lot of people are going through things that they don't even like know. And so oh, it's kind of sure. like, I, I tell people all the time up front, I'm like, oh, when you work with me, like we're going deep we're digging, we're finding the stuff because I want to get to the root so you can actually create real change. Mm -hmm. Like you can lose weight, you can lift weight, whatever it is, but there's so many, I mean, you know this, like that's not going to actually change you unless you're doing it for whatever the right reasons are for you. How do you get people to find out what the right reasons are for them? Um, I ask a lot of hard questions <laughs> for people. Um, I ask people to be vulnerable. I ask people to get uncomfortable because I think that that's where people really find out what's important and what's meaningful. And, um, and also at the same time where people really gain confidence and trust in themselves. Yeah. I remember I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking to somebody and I, I wish I could remember who, because this was a really insightful conversation. And we were talking about like Simon Sinek's book, find your why. Mm -hmm. And I, I I felt like it was kind of a cliche thing to say. It's like, what's your why? And in coaching, it's, I want to help people like, cool, bro. Go work at Home Depot. Like, um, but when you really dial into it, it's like, okay, why do you want to help people? Well, because earlier in my life, someone helped me with something in this field. And I want to pass that along because of the lessons that I was taught and, you know, okay, cool. That's now we're digging into it. It's like, but how did that person helping you make you feel? And how did that feeling translate into action? And when we're talking with our clients, you could have someone say, oh, I, I want to lose 20 pounds. I shall give a great example. Um, so I just, I posted a transformation a couple of weeks ago. One of my clients, he's lost 85 pounds this year, which to me is bananas. We started off our conversation. He's like, I want to lose. I think he said, I want to lose 50 pounds. I said, cool, that's fine. And I said, why? He's like, he's like, because I'm unhealthy. I was like, okay, cool. But why does that really matter? Like you're, you're still a functioning adult. You have a successful business. You're married, you have kids. What's going on? He's like, honestly, I can't play with my kids right now. I'm too fat. Yeah. So that's a why. Yeah. Because he feels inadequate as a father and partner. That's a why. So if I can dial in with that person and say, hey, let's get you to a point where you feel capable as a partner, capable as a father, that's happiness. Right. And it, it takes a really special ability to communicate in a way that is both authoritative and empathetic, where you can be, I don't want to say like you can have a safe space for the person because I just hate that term. Like, I think it's just hold like holding space for the person. Yeah. No judgment, no judgment attached. Like I've worked with clients like, yeah, I want to lose, I want to lose 20 pounds because I want to look better naked. Cool. I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just like really important that people don't do the, if I lose weight, then I'm going to be happy, confident, whatever, just because of the weight loss. That's where the, yes, yes, yes. So I think that's it is just helping that person find true alignment with their why, their values, and then making sure it also aligns with like the effort they're putting in and the um, everything else, you know? Yeah, I, I, to- I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree that you, you mentioned identity. Okay. So like, you know, if you're going to like, think, uh, James Clear talked about this in Atomic Habits. It's like, if you want to run a marathon, pretend you're a marathon runner. So yeah. act as if you are a marathon runner. Adapt, ad- Adopt the identity as a marathon runner. And yeah. 
I think it, it follows the same for any pursuit, right? If you are, you know, you're a competitive powerlifter. Sometimes you got to make decisions that a competitive powerlifter would make. And those might not align with other values that you have at the time. Yeah. But you understand that there's seasons to it. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, for lack of a better term, nutritional periodization, right? Because we right. don't want clients that are always trying to lose fat. Wow. How do you have those conversations? How do you have, hey, there's times where we push, there's times where we back off. And how do you have those conversations? Because it might sound ridiculous to a client to say like, well, why can't I just lose weight forever? Yeah. There's so much, I mean, and these are so instilled in us from like an early age in a society. I think especially people who have grown up in the nineties, early two thousands is like this small thing is like being smaller for a woman at least, or weight being a thing. And it's like, even giving out the, if you literally cannot lose weight forever, do you really think that the scale, like it's possible for the scale to go down every single day of your life forever? Like, is that even an actual reality? No. So <laughs> sometimes like, oh yeah. And really getting to, I think going back to the why, like, well, okay, why do you want to lose weight? If it's because you want to be your healthiest and we're looking at, you know, like health markers and like other aspects then that's probably not going to align with that um so I think it's going to like whole picture creating a longer plan and visual into like well this can happen during this time then we can shift then um giving a little bit more of a layout because yeah. I don't think that like average person can see that I don't think the average person can see that, but I also think that most coaches ignore, like we just finished talking about goal setting, how goal setting could potentially be damaging, right? If not done properly. Yeah. But if you don't have some sort of timeline, yeah, it makes it really hard to be adherent. Because if I know, like, for example, so I'm doing a cut into our wedding. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry, but I know I only have to be hungry for five and a half more weeks. Yeah. Like, okay, I just have to be hungry for five and a half more weeks. If I was like, I'm going to lose weight. Well, when, how long, how much? I don't know. I'm just going to lose weight. Oh, yeah. Well, then you just continue. It makes it harder to prioritize those tough decisions. Yeah, and it's frustrating as fuck. <laughs> And from a business from a business perspective, as a coach looking to build a business and retain clients over the long term, we've talked about this before. If your client knows that you have their best interests at heart and that your plan for them is extrapolated beyond the first three months, four months, five months, six month package, whatever, retaining that client over the long term, again, is a consequence of you being a good coach. Has, has that like long-term planning process drastically changed your business to some degree? Yeah. I think also part of it is not when I first started coaching, I think like a lot of people is I was just desperate to work with people Yeah, and the level of like, well, I'm just going to do whatever the client wants to do. Oh, and yeah. that kind of like can end up in a burning flaming crash. So explaining like, why do you want to change things? Why maybe that's not the best idea for the people, but here's the plan and, um, and laying things out in ways that actually do support these people and what they want and what aligns, um, has created so much more longevity. Yeah. And not only that, what you'll start to see is that people's results just happen, right? They happen, they happen. It happens a lot easier. The people are a lot happier. Um, what I really focus on is making nutrition and fitness, like part of your life, like truly part of something that works for you and with you, not something that you're constantly chasing. Mm -hmm. uh, so then everything else becomes easier to do later. 
you talked a little bit about change psychology. Um, can you give a little bit about like what that is and, and how it kind of shapes your, your work with somebody? Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the big barriers that I see in people that first come to me is self-sabotage, um, going like into repetitive cycles, especially with nutrition and the way that they approach their diet or their eating. So, um, so really working on and fear of failure too, and they all really lead into each other. Um, so working on actually facing these things versus continually going back into patterns, working on recognizing the patterns because they're all predictable. So Mm -hmm. being able to realize like why you're doing things, that's a lot of people like, I don't know why I do this. Like, I know what to do. I just don't know why I do this. I don't know why. I hear that all the time. I know what to do. I just don't do it. Right. So, okay. Let's talk about that a lot more. Um, So create like awareness. Awareness is key in anything. And that's a really big place that we start. Awareness to behaviors that are happening now. Awareness to ones you want to keep. You don't want to keep awareness of things that, um, how you can change things. And then you have clarity on where to go. So. I want to highlight something that's to me, very important to highlight and, you know, a bit of a flex on your part subtly is everything you've talked about is a collaboration with your client in that you're somewhat acting as a mirror for them right? You're involved in this process every step of the way. And someone who might be, have this concept of what online coaching is every step of the way, it hasn't been like, you give me your spreadsheet. I give you email. I give you, I give you four numbers. It's you give me spreadsheet. I give you ongoing conversation every single day to help you move through these things. And that to me, showcases the passion that you have for this it also showcases that you are impact focused i think a lot of people get into online coaching thinking that it's a quick way to earn a buck and i'll be the first person to tell you online coaching can be very lucrative yeah but only if it's impact driven because if it's not everyone's gonna know yeah where like that comes through in the work and that's Mm -hmm. when I think about coaching is it's like working with people it's not giving them numbers and being like okay bye (laughs) so um that's it really is something I'm passionate about and it's something that the more and more I do the things the more and more I come from a place of authenticity and um compassion and impact is it comes through and it works that's a fantastic topic to discuss because it's something that you and I worked quite a bit on initially was you you know when you were putting out your message you had a very clear message when we would speak to one another about how you wanted to help people but you've gone above and beyond to make that everything about your message and putting it out into the world in a very way that is authentically Meryl. Yeah. How, like, what was, what was the process there? I, cause I think a lot of young coaches really struggle with that. And it's something that you dove in head first. Yeah. It, it's really easy to get caught up in things that are not authentic. And I was there and especially with social media, Mm-hmm. I remember one of our first conversations, you we were like, why are you dancing and telling people that, <laughs> you know, like this? And I'm like, yeah, that's so true. Um, and honestly, I think a big part of it for me, like there was a fear of being authentic because I was afraid that people weren't going to like me. Ooh. Like that's, that's a really. That's powerful. Deep. Yeah. And when I really got when I really explored that and got curious in there, I was like, I don't actually give a shit what people think per se. So I'm just going to do what 
feels right for me and what I see um, makes a difference for people. And as I continue to do that, it builds and builds and it makes me more confident in what I'm doing. And it makes me give a shit less and less about what other people think. So realistically, the only people who you should care what they think are the people that you're speaking to. And the people that you're speaking to are going to resonate with a message that's coming from an authentic place. They're not going to resonate with you fucking singing and dancing and pointing to pop up words. And, you know, I said it in jest and we spoke, but like every joke has a little bit of truth to it. Um, And listen, if, if you want to get eyes on you and follow TikTok trends, I would challenge any coach who believes that that is the way to get clients, I would challenge them to try to do that in a way that's authentic. Mm -hmm. And so I'll point out to something that you did the other day, because I thought it was fucking hilarious is, Mm -hmm. you know, the trend of a video in the background with overlaid writing. Mm -hmm. And you wrote something along the lines of when you thought it was too cold to go for a walk, but you used (laughs) to walk to the bar in in a mini skirt and heels and or something like that. And I fucking died because number one, you're following a trend on social media, but two, you're, you're doing it in a way that is like uniquely to you. Cause I knew you would make that type of joke Yeah. or like how I used to take my vitamin. I I don't want to take my vitamins, but I used to pop pills on the weekend. I was like, that's fucking hilarious. Like I had fun making those. And I was like, this is like, if it's real, it aligns, it's whatever. Like it felt good. And it was yeah and it was so 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 funny i remember just laughing my ass off at that and i think listen in all seriousness and i had this conversation with another one of the people in our mentorship about passion and the question was in relation to like can passion overcome a lack of education Hmm. and i said for sure it can but ask yourself are you truly passionate what does passion look like? When I think of someone who's passionate, I think about somebody who is completely engulfed in the thing. It's on their mind all day. All of their actions align with that thing. All of their thoughts center around that. It is a part of their identity. And not only that, they showcase it to the world. So if you think of this person who is passionate and then you look at yourself does that align? Yeah. And that was a very challenging thing for me to say to that, that person, because I, I told him like, you might enjoy what you're doing. You might be really excited about it, but from the outward perception of you to the public, you're not passionate. Yeah. And, and the response from, from that individual was perfect. He was like, you know what? You're right. I need to get out of my own way. I need to put this out into the world and show people that I am trying to help and that I love what I'm doing. Great. Awesome. And, you know, I didn't have to be so harsh with you about it. You just dove right in and you're like, when I think, and that's why I said at the beginning, when I think about a passionate coach, I think about you and it just shows in all the things that you're doing. So amazing job. Thanks. No problem. I have some quick hit questions. Oh God. Okay. That are very exciting. And I am, I love them. So you compete in powerlifting. What is the scariest lift you've ever done? Oh, um, man, scariest lift. Well, squat is like my arch nemesis. Um, you're all arms and legs. Yeah. All arms and legs. So like really squat. (laughs) Um, I would honestly say, like, I don't know. That's such a hard question. Like, scaring mentally yeah. for me yeah. it is, um, yeah, squatting. But is there, like, for a specific me. set that you've done? God. I, my last meet, I got red-lighted on both my, on my second and third squats. And the second squat was actually, like, they missed, they changed the lineup of the order of people that were going. Mm. So I thought I was on deck, but I was up. So oh. I also had to rush to the platform and like 
with seconds left and then I was like oh fuck like mm -hmm. so and then that got relayed on depth which I don't necessarily agree with but that was probably yeah okay when you crack an egg do you crack it on the side of the pan or do you crack it on a flat surface flat surface like a chef good for you I am a chef. yeah <laughs> what what is one album that you can listen to with no skips oh um you know i'm asking the hard-hitting questions here it's a really hard question it, it can't be like a cd that i burned myself no you're also aged yourself big time oh, okay. um i would say pink floyd dark side of the moon not what i would have expected okay i know there's you listen i would say like in sync but there's always one there's always one song i skip so. <laughs> you plus five at a dinner table dead or alive who are they um, this is such a hard question for an indecisive person i know that's why I, that's that's why i put it out there you know what most people pick like famous people um most people pick like historical figures uh the last person i asked this question to picked all of her friends i love that yeah so what are yours Mm, okay, I think two would be both of my grandfathers. Husband. <clears throat> Husband. No, he's not invited. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just kidding, Josh. Love you. Um, uh, both my grandfathers, Brene Brown. Okay. Robert Sapolsky. Very cool. Okay. And you know what? I'll let Josh come. He can come too. So okay. yes, my All right. shout out Josh. <laughs> if you had a billboard that was going to be on the side of a highway, what would it say? Do cool shit. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. All right. Last and most important question. If there was one person that you would like to see on this podcast, who would it be? With the caveat that you have to help me get them on the podcast. Oh. See, I love this question because I make you do my job for me. I know. That's a really, that's actually really freaking smart, Paul. I, I um, stole it from another podcast, though, so I can't take full uh, credit. That's okay. Um, I have two people, actually, that I think would be bomb on this podcast. Yeah. Um, one is Ross Lepla. I was on his podcast recently, and... I think you guys would have a really cool conversation about our lifting and strength. And the other one is that comes to my mind is Megan Scanlon. I think that would also be a really cool conversation. Did you get me Megan Scanlon? I went to high school with Megan. Really? Yeah, we go back. So I can, I'll talk with her. I'll ask her. Jacked. <laughs> Megan, she's always been a beast and i it is so freaking cool to see where she's at now yeah. yeah yeah meryl thank you so very much for joining me on the podcast it was a long time coming we had to reschedule once because there's bad people in the world but <laughs> we made it happen um yeah. everyone please make sure to like share subscribe to the podcast and ring the bell if you'd like to get a hold of meryl i will have links in the show notes of where you could find her any parting words of wisdom, my friend? You know, well, get out there, get uncomfortable, do cool shit, create the life you want. I love it. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks.